Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone, a podcast about making things up and making things happen. This week, I'm talking to a television writer and television personality, and he's also the author of the book, The Pink Marine. It's Greg Cope White, and he's got quite a story to tell, because he was literally in the Marines. He's like a gay guy like me, and he was in the Marines. Anyway, we'll get, we'll get into that. That's what the whole book's about. Uh, but first, a little bit of business. I want to let you know that if you're in L.A., I am co-hosting an Oscar party with Love Connie, who, uh, a.k.a. John Cantwell, who was one of the Nellie Olsons when we interviewed them back in the fall. Um, we're doing it at Precinct L.A., which is a gay bar in downtown L.A. Uh, the address is 357 South Broadway, and um, I've never been there. I've been outside, but I've been wanting to go, and we're going to do it old school. I'm going to have my silly games and, and contests, and John's going to, you know, Connie's going to glam it up and do a number or two or bring other folks in. So I hope it'll be really fun. It's free. Just come and, you know, spend money on beer and booze and I think they have food there. It's going to be really fun. Oscar Go Go at Precinct LA. Um, also, March 11th and 12th, the Mismatch Game returns here in Los Angeles Friday and Saturday night, uh, 8 p.m. both nights. You can learn about that uh, at LALGPTCenter.org. Um, so there's that. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Uh, I also want to give a shout-out to Larry Newman and Michael Shane, who left generous donations in my virtual tip jar and kept my web hosting uh, covered for a couple months. I really, really appreciate it. Um, if you'd like to do that, it helps keep the podcast free and cover expenses that come with it. Um, that's at DennisAnyone.net. There's a little button there. You can also see some pictures that go with different podcasts sometimes and uh, subscribe to my newsletter, which I'm about to send out any day now with all kinds of fun stuff and info. And um, I forgot something. What was it? Oh, uh, Greg talks about some paintings in um, the podcast and I took pictures of them. So I'm going to post them up on the DennisAnyone.net under that podcast. So that's it. Without any further ado, please enjoy Greg Cope White. All right, I'm here in the Santa Monica home of today's guest, Greg Cope White. Hello. Don't steal anything. I'm going to check your pockets later. It's such a cute place. It's fun colors. How long have you lived here? I've lived here since 1992, and the reason there's art here is because our brilliant mentor and idol, Norman Lear, told me years ago to buy a piece of art with some with part of the money of every script I ever sold. Oh, that's so, so cool. That was I went advice. a little overboard. But, but that means you sold a lot of scripts. Well, I also had to live on that money, too. Yeah. So I could have, you know, that would have been crazy. So, yes. So that's where all this came from. Now, what, obviously, what, what was his reasoning behind it? Art is important. Art means something to your life. But what, if, what makes you glad you followed that advice from him? I, I think living with art is, is the only way that I could live. You know, I think we, we collect our friends. We collect our lovers. We collect our... Um, our things with a passion because we want to see them every single day. Right. You know, there's not a piece that I have that I don't want to see every single day. There's pieces that I haven't bought that I still regret. Right. You know, that I had chances. But you don't regret that you bought any. You don't don't regret going, oh, why did I do No, no. Even when it's hard to find a place, somebody just jiggled everything around in December. And even when it's hard to find a place for something, you know, we always do. But but, uh, um, uh, I just, I love living with art. Pick one piece and tell me the story behind it, and then I'll take a picture of it and put it on the, the blog. These five yes. Ken Prices. Um, okay. Is the first thing I ever bought at an auction, I just sold a Dream On script. Right. And I was at Sotheby's all by myself, had no idea what I was doing, kind of alone and scared in that, in that room of very intimidating, rich art collectors. And I'd thumbed through the catalog, and I, I, there were many things that came and went that I couldn't get. I knew I wanted this. But I thought it was just one thing. I thought it was that center image that has several images. You ended up with five? Because it said Ken Price five images. And I saw that one had multiple things. So I was thrilled to have that one image. And I won the auction. And I went downstairs to pay. And they said, okay, we'll be right back. And they came back with a stack of five wrapped paintings. And I went running down Rodeo Drive at 11 o'clock at night, hustling to my car in case they found out that they'd given me extra art. Right. I wasn't going to give it back if they had. Yeah, you were just like, it's their mistake. Yes. It's their mistake. I, and then I came here, it was here, it was late at night, like midnight, and I started unwrapping all the paper, and I was just like, wait, what? I get all these? Yeah. And why do you love them? Why Ken did you bid on them? Uh, the whimsy, the color. I try to focus on pop, 
And he, this is his entire naked figurine cup series. And so I just love, I love naked women hopping out of a coffee cup. Yeah, who doesn't love that? He could have done 50 million of these and each one would be fabulous. I love it. All right, we'll take a picture of that and we'll post it on the uh, DennisAnyone.net so people can see what we're talking about. When you were in the auction, were you nervous that if you coughed or somebody would think you were bidding? Or Like I always think of all the movies scenes in auctions where people goof and end up buying something they can't afford. Yes, I totally froze. Did you have a number? I had a number, I had a paddle, and I was totally afraid that I was going to... um, we're gonna yeah, jump the gun. Right, come too soon, so they say. I love it. Yeah. So Norman Lear is somebody that that blurbed your book. He wrote the forward. For he your wrote book. the forward. We're gonna we're talking about Greg's book, uh, the Pink Marine, or is it just Pink Marine or the the, the Pink Marine? I own both websites, so I put <laughs> Damn, <you> right. <laughs> so smart. We're gonna get to that in a bit. But Norman Lear is obviously uh, somebody that's been really important to you in your life. I got so lucky. How lucky is that to have him as the first show business job that I it, had? He's such an icon, and and what he's done in television is so groundbreaking even to somebody that's sort of casually followed television or whatever you know that he's somebody uh that's made an enormous difference yeah when i asked him to write the forward for the book i i called him and and asked him and, and he said am i the right person am i the person that would be the most influential for this subject matter and i said well you're a legendary lgbt rights activist yeah. and philanthropist which it takes money right. to make these things happen um, you're a legendary comedy writer. Right. And I know you. And you're a World War II veteran. He flew countless missions over Europe. And he's, oh, yeah, I guess I am the right person. Right. That's awesome. And you, how did you first become acquainted with him? I got a job working for him as a PA. I thought it would be a huge operation with, like, thousands of television people running around this huge studio. Right. But I was in the office, the executive office, which was just him and another, uh, the guy that ran his company, and then their respective assistants. Right. And they, when they hired me, they said, Norman wasn't at the interviews. They said, don't tell Norman you want to be a writer for one year. That's our deal. Don't say anything for one year. I would have signed a contract right. with that in it if it had to be. Yeah. Just to get the job. And uh, so I said, sure, absolutely. I won't say a word. Second day I was there, he comes up to my desk to introduce himself. And he says, I hear you're a writer. And I wasn't sure how to answer. It was like that auction. Yeah, it's like, am I being tested? What am I, like, are there cameras on me? And this is the test that I have to flunk. And my boss is in the other room going, you're damn it. And I said, yes, I am. And he said, okay, have something on my desk tomorrow. And so I... um, Oh, my God. Sean Dwyer, who you know, the writer. He had gotten a job about a month before there. And we'd been talking about writing some together. So I ran to Sean and said, Norman, just... He goes, let's crank something out. So we actually wrote our first script together for Norman in 24 hours and acted like we already had it, of course. Literally, it was the next day. The next day. So, And you had to finish your day of work. So- to, yes. And I don't know about you, but Sean and I worked for years at, at Sunset Gower and for Norman at uh, all over the place and uh, on different shows, but we also worked in the office and then had to yeah. do our stuff at night and on the weekends. Yeah. So you, you know, you... You do pay a lot of dues. It's so interesting because Norman Lear is somebody that that if they shine on you, you just have to feel special and what an opportunity. And what and did he think of what you wrote? He loved it so much. It was a spec Seinfeld okay. that he sent it over to Seinfeld because that was his production. Co- he right. for his guys when he sold all of his big company. Uh, Alan Horn and Glenn Padnick and Rob Reiner left to form Castle Rock. They had all worked for him at Embassy. And he sent it over to them, and they called us in for a meeting. We did not get a job on staff, but they told us how much they loved the script and and how funny it was, and it was a good script. And then we continued, and then we got... um, uh, Did you just stay up all night? We did. We stayed up all night. We did that a lot. And then that's how we met Margaret Cho. Okay. Okay. we Sean saw her. He gets full credit. He saw her late night on a TV show, I think, in 1993, and then um, called me and described her whole act to me. And we went to Norman and said, can we have the titles of directors of development? We'd like to approach this comedian that we saw and see if she, anybody's working with her. And he goes, absolutely. And so we actually ended up being directors of development here for a couple of years. So we called Margaret's manager at the time and uh, had a lunch with her, and we started working on a show. And... Then we started, Norman and everybody, we started following her around at comedy clubs, and we developed a show for her. Our show was not the one that went. Wasn't all uh, American Girl. Disney outbid us. So we were with Columbia, and we walked in for uh, a 30-minute show at the Improv, and Norman, Sean, and I walk in, and Norman looked, and he said, oh, Disney's here, Sony's here, 
uh, Paramount's here. He said, her manager's smart. She got everybody here, probably because she knew that Norman was coming. It was to see like a 30-minute set. And the next day or the next week, um, Disney offered Margaret uh, a better deal than Columbia was. And that was all American Girl. And um, But I'm still, like you, are still very close to Margaret. And, and she blurbs my book. That's awesome. Okay. They should have gone with Lear. I Our, mean, especially if you're her. And the you're, show that we created. So politically motivated and and like the the, the subject matter and and the, the the racial stuff and like oh lear come on and, and she loved the show that we created and we were really proud of it the one that we did was um uh was set around her real life it was scott silverman her gay yes. best friend and and all of her we it was her real life and she uh it was it was just a different version yeah. but it, it was sort of a version of that later became friends yeah so oh wow the next year Wow. Well, I, you know, Margaret's the inspiration for Dandy Rio in my book, Misadventure in the 213. I don't yes, know if you knew that. I did know that. Yeah. I, know I mean, that. It, it, I started writing the column when we were really friendly, and I said, I'm writing this column for Detour Magazine. It's a fiction column. Who do you want to be? And she goes, I want to be Dandy Rio, star of the sitcom. That's just Dandy. And I was like, okay. And then it was done. And then it evolved from there. I didn't, you know, I wasn't. But there were certain things, like she had a Miata at the time, and certain things that, that, um, made it into the book but she was the original sort of inspiration for that character yeah and, and you hung out with her a lot i got only for that period of time and then you know life happens and life happens whatever but i love when i run into her now yeah i remember speaking of norman lear i remember remember when um you know when you're in in la and you're sort of especially if you're a gay person you're kind of got an eye on how other people are doing and oh wow so and so is really successful and but you know what? I, maybe this thing will blow up. It's a horrible mindset to be in. I'm, you know, but you kind of... And I remember, you know, um, who was it? Greg Berlanti was doing really well and has done amazingly well. But I remember when there was an article in uh, Writer's Guild magazine where it was him and Norman Lear hanging out on a ranch talking about life. And I'm like, I give up. I'm out. Right. <laughs> How do I get there? There, there, no. There's no, there is no getting there. But He's on a ranch with Norman Lear. That's the... That's the uh, you could be on a ranch with Norman Lear. You, that's what I love hearing about. You just finished the diversity program. Yes. You. How many people got accepted? 11? 11 out of um, 171 people uh, submitted scripts, but 11 made it into the program. That's right. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was a neat thing. No, I don't know what my point of that story is, but Norman Lear, what, he represents something fantastic, a, and, and you had a front row seat to that. Remember his motto. He has, a, he has a bumper sticker that says something. I'll tell you what it is, because it's the name of his new documentary that just kicked off Sundance. It opens theatrically in June. I saw pictures on your Facebook page. I'm just another version of you. That's what Norman's oh, bumper sticker awesome. says. So if that's you see a him, thing. if you see him at a huge event, find your way up to okay. him and introduce yourself. He will love that. We'll move on to a different topic. But what's the what's the one of the best things you've learned from him? Um, that there's room in this business for everyone. That's a direct quote. Wow. Wow. Somebody needed to hear that today. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's really good. What and, and then just to clarify, what what was he working on when you were working with him? What era would that have been in his? We were wrapping production of a short six-episode show called Sunday Dinner, and we were in pre-production for The Powers That Be. Did I you remember see that? the title of it, yeah. Uh, yeah John yeah. Forsyth was a political guy married to Holland Taylor. Right. And David Hyde Pierce was their son-in-law married to Valerie Mahaffey and Peter McNichol and Eve Gordon. Joseph Gordon-Levitt was their son. Oh, wow. He was 10. And nice. it was a fabulous show. It ran two seasons. NBC didn't have anything to really pair it with, so they right. just didn't renew it. I think we were up against cops, mostly. Right. And then um, the, then we phased into 704 Hauser, which was a black family living in Archie Bunker's house. I remember that. So, which was a lot of fun. We wrote one for Margaret Cho, but Disney wouldn't let her out of her deal to come Disney. and do it with us. So we had to find We had to cast Margaret. You had to find a Margaret Cho type yeah. to play Margaret. We left her. Sean yeah. and I made sure that her name stayed Margaret in yeah. the script. So you've written a book called The Pink Marine. It's about when you were in boot camp for the Marines. Don't I radio you can't scream see? Don't Marine I look like the Marines? Maybe this is why we're not winning wars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is what we are. But you—that blows my mind. A, it's very well written and interesting and and funny and poignant. Thank you. But you remember everything so well. Like this is a period of how many? Like how many months are we talking? This is the three beginning months. of the end. Three Reading months of your life, yeah. and the detail. Did you keep a journal? How do you remember things so well? There 
I bet there's not another Marine out there who couldn't write just as detailed a book. You don't forget anything. And I knew I was going to write a book when I was in there. So I was, I was 18. Yeah. I was making mental notes and little notes. I remember looking outside the barracks window one night when I was on guard duty, walking around in the middle of the night with my rifle. Um, the way that the, that the guarding floodlights were pouring into our squad bay um, and casting weird shadows. I knew that I would. I said, "These are moments that I'll remember, and I will write." So, so you didn't keep a journal; you just remembered them. They, yeah. they're, they're so vivid that you can't not remember. Yeah, them. you can. I remember conversations verbatim from my drill yeah. instructors. They're in there, and yeah. and you you are you have to remember, I guess that that or have to realize that the Marines' basic job in that three months is to bend you enough to where you overcome your basic instinct against killing someone. So they don't break you, they bend you just enough, and then they make you super, super strong. Wow. They make you into a machine, in a way. Or, you, yeah. You have to be ready to kill, on command, without hesitation or thought. Now, the reason you went in was because your best friend was doing it. You know, I Tell went in accidentally. That. that was just so goofy. My best friend, from, we'd been best friends since we were about 13. After our freshman year of college, he called, and in a phone conversation, he said, you know, I'm going to spend this summer going to Marine Corps boot camp. His dad had been a Marine. I'm going to go to Paris Island. I'm going to spend the summer in boot camp. I'll finish in time for our sophomore year of college. And I thought, I love summer camp. And I like boots. Yeah. So I said, I'm going to go with you. And he said, you can't go. They'll eat you alive. You've never run a mile. You don't know anything about the military. And you weren't out to him yet. I was out to him. Oh, okay. But in a way, in the, in the, in the late 1970s, that 16-year-olds were out to their best friend. Right. It was just like understood. I, I wasn't dating anybody, certainly. And, right. And he wasn't setting me up. You know, there was no... And he wasn't out by that. He, 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 didn't, he wasn't weird around that. No. I hope you get to meet him because if you want to ever ask anybody about acceptance, I'm not the one to ask. It's him. Yeah. That's beautiful. I'm fine with me. Were you ever but in love with him? I think I've always been in love with him just as the kind of person that he is. Romantically, right. no. Right. But he's just this... He's still my best friend to this day. You right. know, 40 years later. Who gets that? Yeah. He lives here in L.A. He's a doctor, so I re- you need a doctor. That's so That's good. And I just admire him so much. I couldn't love him more. And so you go into the... I kept thinking of Private Benjamin, but this would have been right around the time that movie came out. This was before. So you didn't, you didn't even have the reference of the lines to be like, is green the only color these come in? Which now, I joined the different true. army, the one with the private yachts and the rooms and the, you know... They show you an edited recruitment video, right. you know? So, and again, I thought... I just did it as a lark. I didn't know what I was doing. And so when we went down and I lied on the enlistment papers about being gay, I thought that was my big hurdle. Then I didn't pass the physical. I didn't weigh enough. I was super skinny. So I had eight days to get over that. And that's um, a really... You write about me, that. Yeah. It was and you hard just to picked out, out, right? And you just... Picked out. And then the last three pounds, I had to cheat. And what did you... You put something in your pockets or something. Yeah, they'll have to read the book. But yeah, I yeah, yeah. To, I had to, so basically, I lied and cheated to get in the military. Wow. I was a bad employee. Sorry, U.S. Marines. What was the lowest point of it in the three months? Was there a... I mean, there must have been... Every day, you must have wanted to give up. The lowest point was when things would happen physically that you didn't have time to heal from. You had to keep going. And yeah. so I broke some metatarsal bones in my foot because you run and march in these really cheap boots. I like good boots, right. by the way. I don't like government-issued cheap Gosh, boots. Just but you don't insults. have the option of, of you know running in New Balance. So you're running in these boots, and we all are running in the same boots, the same amount of distance. So I, um, I broke some little metatarsals. I'd never run 10 feet. I'm from Texas. If we need to go to the corner, we do what everybody does and get in the car and drive. I thought you were going to say ride the horse. Or ride the horse. No. So smack that pony. So we go to, we, we, when, you, when you break these little bones, they're really painful, but there is no recovery time. There's no, oh, why don't you just take a break and stay in bed for two weeks? Right. You have to march on those same broken bones. They're wrapped up and taped up. So that was hard, and some guys formed really big blisters, and those were also difficult to keep marching on. But they need you to know what that's like because everything replicates a possible real situation. Right. Now, being gay, you, you, that ended up being the least of your problems. So you were just trying to survive. Yeah. The gay thing, you know, the book is a, is a book about 75 guys. I'm the only gay one. I got to learn and meet and understand 
this amazing cast of characters who came, everybody came in with something. Right. You know, there were people that, that chose boot camp over prison. Right. We weren't told who they were. Right. And there were guys that were hardly ashamed of their level of education, of, of their, of um, whatever. I may have been bullied as a kid. So maybe I was a little more nervous about getting beaten up because I was gay. Maybe the others didn't have that fear that right. they were going to physically get pummeled. But uh, it was eye-opening as far as um, what a true sense of brotherhood is. Right. That was amazing. Now, guns. What's your relationship to guns now? Well, well first off, that's your gun. We held a rifle. Yeah. It's a, and you learn that really quick. Um, the My... I, in a way, I'm always thrilled to have a, to be great at something, Yeah, you know? And so I can still shoot to this day really, really well. I don't need to do it very often. My parents have a ranch in Texas, so I can go do that if I need to. Right. But I'm not out there, I'm not at a rifle range. I'm, I'm, I want to certainly fight for our, our Bill of Rights and our right to, to bear arms, I'd rather that people just bared really great arms right. and biceps than, exactly. than carried uh, you know, concealed weapons in their car. I think we really need to be mindful of that. But um, I, I'm thrilled to be able to shoot a gun. When you first had one put and in your rifle. hand, a rifle, did it feel foreign? Did it feel good? And how, did, how does it feel then versus how would it feel right now if I put a rifle in your hand? It felt super weird because we held it for about a month before we fired it. They wanted us to get to know it and know all the parts. We have to break it down in under a minute, put it back together. We cleaned, you know, it's like Joan Crawford cleaning a clean floor. Right. Or having someone clean a clean floor. I'm, I'm sure all kinds of Marines use the Joan Crawford reference. She's in the book. I want to yeah. so, so many weird 40s and 50s movie stars came in. I'm not sure why I use yeah. those references. But the, um, the, the day that it came to actually fire the rifle... I just really wanted to be good. It's, there's a lot of peer pressure. And I was there to do a job, and I was actually being paid. They pay you a salary for boot camp. Right. And so I constantly was worried about not doing something well enough and getting kicked out. Constantly worried about my secret being discovered and getting kicked out. Um, not you just wanted to make physically. it through. I wanted to make it through. And that, that survival instinct... I think with everybody kicks in pretty quickly. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book when, when all the stories of, I knew I was going to write the book, but when I started to write the book, those stories of, of all the, our darling little LGBT youth that were, you know, being bullied and were finding it easier to end their life than fight through. I really wanted to write a book to say, hang on, honey, it does get better. It may not be easy, but it can get better. And um, also I wanted to make sure that, that, I was chronicling stories of uh, a different time in the right to LGBT civil rights. Right. Look, I'm thrilled where it is now. Who was it that said the first gay pride? Was it Margaret or Scott Silverman? The first gay pride was just one lone guy running scared through the streets. Probably one of them. We've yeah. come a long way. Yeah. And, but it took a lot to get us there. Yeah, you know? no, for sure. What's something that you do in your life now that you do differently because you're a Marine? Make your bed, uh, <laughs> exercise... I can pop up out of bed like toast, you know, in the morning. I have no problem getting up. I travel a lot. And so no matter where I am or whatever, I bing, I'm up. Because once you've had a drill instructor scream at you and bang garbage cans for weeks on end, you need no alarm clock. You just pop up. So that I take with me all the time. And then also the main thing is just the, I had to use it to write this book. I have to use it sometimes to, to fight my way through LA traffic. Um, no matter how physically exhausted or mentally exhausted you are, you really can go one step further. You can always take one more step. Right. There's that there's the thing where you think you're depleted, but you're not. You've got it in you. You've got it in you. That's an amazing lesson to learn. I think that's a great thing to learn. And it applies to everything. You know, it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't help in your bank account. But right. It, <laughs> no, that's true. Um, the, the, the drill sergeant, Santoro, mm. he was such a vivid character. <laughs> So tough, and yet you kind of <clears throat> love him by the end. Uh, they asked the people that are doing the book as a TV series asked me for casting ideas the other day, and I liked uh, Jason Schwartzman for him. I know he's working on like two other shows, but I love that guy. I love him too. Um, and Santora was like that: short, dark, sexy, right? I think serious, is super sexy, so sexy and so appealing. Yet he's always got a wall up. 
you know, yeah. Jason always has this wall up. Yeah. And his, you know, other characters trying to get He brings a little bit of it. a gay bell to me, Jason. I'm well, not saying anything about him, but he, there's that little thing that some actors don't do at all, and he does. Well, you know, the Marines have an interesting, um, what, there's a, there's a hyper-masculinity about the Marine Corps. And a lot of Marines are these short, stocky, muscly, hairy-chested little bulldogs. Right. And that it literally is a type. And so, uh, and a lot of them are gay. Yeah. Just like, you know, I don't know about you, when I, when I first was, uh, I'm going to talk about this in Dallas this week at Barnes & Noble, because um, I lived in Dallas when I joined the Marines, um, I, when I was like 18 and 19 and going to gay bars... I was really intimidated about going in because I thought that all the gay people looked kind of like the village people. Right. And that they were all rough and tough and construction workers and cowboys. Right. And I remember going into a bar, not excited about going into the bar, nervous about going into the bar, and intimidated. And I saw this group of leather daddies come out with the village people, black leather hat coming down. And one of them kind of bumped into me and I thought I was dead and he was going to kick my ass. And then, you know, he, it's like, oh, sorry. And, and yeah. I thought, oh, wait a second. You're me. Yeah. Get out of my way, bitch. Let That's me in right. The club. And, and Santoro had a catchphrase that he used that I wrote down and I really wanted to catch on. Fuck him with the whole dick. Can you believe that? That's a great, that says so much. A, it's sort of sexy and homoerotic, but also it's like... I use that. Fuck him with the whole dick. That's just, that's like, you know, any pep talk you want to give, you know, your kid campers, you yep. know, or your Girl Scout cookies that are competing. Sales team projects. Sales team projects. Motivational yes. speeches. I do it. Somebody- and finally, before I send you out there, everybody remember, say it with me. Fuck him with the whole dick. I remember meeting Ingram, the book distributor. And I was talking to my agent on the phone before, and she, she sweet lady, poor lady, I, I don't think she was ready for this. Yeah. And, and she said, are you going to dazzle Ingram, you know what to do? And I said, I'm going to fuck her with the whole dick. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, And of course she, thank God that was her reaction too. Right. So, yes, yes, it's a great phrase because. I'm really surprised it hasn't caught on more. I mean, it really says so much. Let's start hashtagging it and trying I think we do it. We do it, we do it. Um, Mormonism. Um, oh, we have that in common. Mormon. Yes, and you have you write about that in the book as well, and how you were baptized Mormon before you weren't into the Marines. You were sort of not that into it, whatever. Yeah. But you used it to sort of get out of work on Sundays in a way, or get, yes. get to go somewhere on Sunday. I had started to leave. Um, I started to. I decided to leave the Mormon Church and not follow the religion by the time I was about fourteen. I was right. baptized, and then I kind of figured it all out by the time I was 14, and I thought, oh, okay, let's just avoid all that. Right. And so I especially didn't love the tithing process. I yeah. disagree with that. So That's 10% of your income. No matter what you do. Yeah. Uh, you can be poor, and they want that money. And, so the, um, and then they later spent that tithing to try to defeat Prop 8. So, you know... Yeah, I was I was justified in my in my yeah, early no, opinion. No, no, no. That, that whole Prop Eight thing was bullshit. Can you imagine uh, a family in Ohio that had scrimped and saved and given all of their money to the church and found out that they had used that money to defeat Prop Eight and now marriage is legal among yeah. everyone? I would be so pissed. Yeah, you'd want like a, a gift check, a gift return check, or some kind of claim check, and not out of tithing. Yeah. Yeah, sell something. Sell yeah. Moroni off one of those temples. Exactly. Um, put him at Sotheby's. I'll raise my paddle. Exactly. Um, but the, so the, um, in boot camp, they asked us, uh, they asked us, if you have any weird religion, like if you're a Jew or a Mormon or anything yeah. freaky, we have a special church you can go to. Right. And I thought, ooh, that means I would be away from these 74 guys for an hour. And so I raised my hand and they're like, you, you're the freak. And I said, yeah, I'm a Mormon. So I went over there, and uh, and it, it was cool being alone and away from the guys walking through the base. I swear to God, it looked different. The base looked greener and brighter. And then when I came back, my best friend, Dale, who was still in the platoon, asked me how it was. And I said, it was great. And there were some girls in there. And when he heard there were girls in there, he went to the drill instructors and said, I think I want to be a Mormon, too. Yeah. And I'll go. And so he ended up going with me every week. And by the end, he got baptized. Yeah, he was into it. Yeah. Is he still into it? No, he figured it out, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, 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 but that was, like, the, your way of going and, and getting out, getting away. Yeah, I think I have a photo of us. Um, I do. I can show you of us at graduation posing with the missionaries. That's he got so... baptized at Paris Island. That's amazing. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That chapter is called a recruit's recruitment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like you know? the play on words there. Mm-hmm. 
Now you never came close to seeing combat because you stayed in the or did you? No, because you stayed in the Marines for. I was in for six years. Right. We were at a time of peace, which I hope we're always at a time of peace, and we bring all our boys home. Who was and, president? Uh, when I went in, it was Carter. Right. And then when I got out, it was Reagan. So the the funny thing when the only chance, and this is not in the book because this was after boot camp, but uh, I was at uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and where I had my first sexual affair with a Marine. Right. Which period is period awesome period. Which is um, period. But that was post book. That was post book. That's after the. That's after. It's, it, I'm writing this as a collection yeah. um, of, of different stories for the second book. But uh, I was there and one night in the middle of the night in our squad bay, explosions happened. It was just going off like crazy. And we all jumped out of our beds and grabbed our rifles and got under our racks and in positions to attack. But we, it turned out somebody had thrown in a string of firecrackers wow and but we were asleep and when you when we woke up and realized what had happened i was thrilled to have that reflex and that reaction right but uh i started thinking wait a second we're on a base if if someone's going to invade they're not going to successfully make it onto a marine corps base right there were like eight levels of defense before they got to me yeah Yeah, so you never had to go to into any kind of combat situation no where were you stationed in your various uh, i was at the dallas naval air station yeah i was at camp lejeune i was at 29 palms wow all right which is hard duty right uh fort mccoy wisconsin and then for two years i was at quantico i went to officer candidate school too oh wow i became an officer you were you, you, when you finished. You were like a sergeant. I was. What I did, I finished officer candidate school, but I, because I was going to go to law school and and serve in the JAG Corps. Yeah. And I took the with LSAT. David James Elliott on CBS. Absolutely. And I um uh I took the LSAT and thought, oh, I don't want any part of this. And so I resigned my commission and finished my time that I had as an enlisted man as a sergeant. And then the day I got out of the Marines, I moved to New York City to study acting and writing. Yeah, so you have this creative side to you. What is it doing the whole time you're in the Marines? Is it dormant? Or do you think, do you, do you go to movies and think, I want to, or maybe later? Or how is your creativity uh, I was expressing always, itself? I was always in college. I wasn't writing a lot, but I was mostly acting. And right. so I was getting ready to move to New York. I knew that I didn't want to do much in Dallas. I did a couple of films there. I had an agent there, but I knew that I needed to be in New York. Right. And you, But you always wanted to do it. You always thought that was something you would end up doing always pursuing yep. yeah i love that um you got some great blurbs you got norman lear for the forward but let's just discuss christopher atkins as a as a blurber how sweet is he he's so sweet he's so sweet and looks incredible he looks the same i saw him at an event yeah. a couple years ago and he's a sweet guy great guy and we have the same manager right okay. and so we hang out sometimes i took him to my uh to the food network's beach bash yeah in santa monica a few months ago because they told me to bring a beach accessory that i mean come on he's the ultimate beach accessory he is the ultimate beach accessory and it was really funny because we walked in and they said uh hi chris frackens we like to develop shows with celebrities would you like to have a show and i said guys I'm right here. Yeah, I've Don't been here offer two, two the person seconds. next to me yeah, yeah, a yeah. show. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna. I want to talk to you about the Food Network stuff. But you, you have a show that you do for them, Unique Sweets. Unique Sweets. There are cookies right here in front of me. I haven't had one yet, but I will. This was really funny. Um, do you want to hear the story behind those cookies? Real yes. Quick? What are they? Um, these. I turned my grandmother's pecan pie recipe into a cookie. It's a pecan pie cookie. Right. And it was for LA Cookie Con, which was this weekend at LA Convention Center. And I cooked on stage. With, I baked the cookies on stage with another person that I'm on Unique Sweets with, right. uh, Chef Jamika Pessoa. She has this awesome talent. I love her. And we are working on some other stuff. And the other half of my book, Dale, that I went in with, his eight-year-old daughter, Addison, loves to cook. She loves right. to bake. And we've done some stuff. I shot a pilot for Food Network, and she was in the pilot, and I, Food Network loves her. And so I asked her if she wanted to come and cook with me at the LA Convention Center in front of thousands of people. And her first question was, do I get a microphone? And I thought, honey, if that's your biggest concern, you're going to yeah, be fine. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was so proud of her. So this was Saturday. Uh, because of traffic, she was super late. I was already there setting up on stage with Jamika. And they, it was time to go. They were like, you've got to go. You've got to start. And I'm on my phone talking to her dad. I said, just drop her off in front. Walk in with her. Show your tickets. And that little girl, I watched her walk through the back of the convention center 10,000 people, and this little child who had never been on stage before, or anything, um, besides, I guess, her dance recitals, which she is awesome at, 
um, walked up through the back of the crowd and right up on the stage, they strapped a mic headset on her and she hit the stage and started the show. And she just did it. She's like, I got this. I got this. There was no getting comfortable. No. Are you ready? How do yeah. you feel? I need that. I'm going to get you through this. No matter yeah. What. Yeah. It's going to be okay. I need that talk. Yeah, exactly. Still. She crushed it. But crushed you it. told me the deal was she got to pie you. At the end, she got to pie me in the face and she nailed it. And I basically had to leave after that because I was covered in whipped cream. Uh, I had made her a prop pie. Right. And my back was turned and we had practiced it the night before. And it was great, and she just nailed me with a pie. And it was, you know... There are people whose fetishes is getting... Sexual fetish is getting pied. Really? Yeah, I had a chat with one once online. And they get totally aroused from that. That's their thing. They want to get pied. Is there any video on that? I'm sure, if you Google it. I never... I might need to see that. You might might need to see that. I mean, it could be another... I just need to see how the pie causes uh, that. slice of an audience that you could really reach out to. I just might need it as I get older. I might need to see if that's going to work for me. Yeah, see you if know, there's. You never gonna, know. Yeah. You never know. How did the cooking, unique sweets, the Food Channel stuff? How did that happen? I write sitcoms. I still do. Sean and I have a script and development with Norman now. Great. Um, and so I still do that. But as you know, writing staff shrunk, yeah. and so during the 2000s, as writing staff shrunk, I had to find other things to write and other things to do. So I started a blog called Eat Greg Eat. Right. And it, I was having a lot of fun telling stories mostly about stupid things I did and a lot of things about the Marines and a lot of things had to do with food or cooking and travel. And then Huffington Post picked that up and then it branched off a different blog. But so I stayed on Eat Greg Eat and Food Network found it. And That's they awesome. said, I think there's a show here. And I said, well, I like the way you think. But I was in the middle of finishing the book and I right. thought they were this just book. kidding. This book, The Pink Marine. I thought they were kidding. But I started getting these emails, and then Mark Burnett asked me to be on one of his shows, a cooking show called uh, On the Menu. Right. And that was a lot of fun. He, has, he runs his shows tight day. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, and so that was fun, and I was using it all for a marketing platform because, as you know, being on TV does help. It sell helps them. so much. Then – so I shot a pilot for Food Network, and they aren't going to make that show right now. So they stuck me on Unique Sweets. And we're just seeing what else. I'll be with them at uh, South Beach Food and Wine Festival in two weeks. How fun. What a fun little um, sort of side thing. They feed me. They feed you. So how long (laughs) have you been on Unique Sweets? This is my first season. Nice. Awesome. And so you're cooking and doing things. How does that... There we just eat. You just eat. So you you don't have to come in with recipes or anything. No. We show up and eat whatever. And then we eat everybody's. We, no. Like, I eat mine on camera. If I'm there, if I'm at Republic, which I love, yeah. I was eating their Sticky Bomb, but I also had to eat Artie's dessert and, and, and you know, Ali and Georgia's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd eat the other cast. I'd eat all their desserts. And then we fly to New York and green screen uh, our reactions. You know what I hate about cooking shows? And I have not seen this. I, I apologize. Is that when people are tasting it, they take tiny little bites. Like, they, they don't fucking eat it. They need to fucking eat it. We eat bigger bites when we're on the location, but yeah. here's why. Because you have to eat. Do they give you little not... tips? Yes. Okay, tell us. Break it down. Okay, here's here's what you now. Why don't they fucking eat it like normal people? Hold up the food, okay. and l- I'm looking at you in the eyes yeah. while I do that. Right. I'm going to take a bite, but I'm not going to look at you because yeah. for some reason, studies have shown, you don't want to look. At, we do not need to make eye contact when I'm taking a bite. It's a little gross. It's a little too a little intense. A little so intense. I look away and take the bite. Okay. Manageable bite, and Manageable then I look bite. right back up, yeah. and I start talking with my mouth full, yeah. totally okay, and I give you my reaction, and I find other words than mmm and yummy and delicious. Right. I try to find words that no one's used. So the preacher comes up to you and said, okay, remember, look away, manageable bites, no mmms, no yums. I want something, I want adjectives, and we're rolling. Like, yes. that's the kind of thing they do. Yeah, and sometimes it's the 12th churro that you're on, and you're still trying to not make crazy eyes <laughs> and not, you know. How interesting. Manageable bites. And don't look at, don't look at the camera. Don't look at the camera when you're, you're biting, because it's weird. Makes yeah. people uncomfortable. I want to Maybe that's test. why guys don't, well, they close their eyes when they kiss. Maybe it is. why people do. Same thing. I just saw a movie where somebody's like, look at me. Uh, I don't remember what it was. It was oh, I know what it was. Forty five years with Charlotte Rampling, which kind of felt like it was forty five years. Uh, but it's good. But uh, yeah, did she have to say it kind of aggressively? Like, look at me, kind a little bit yeah. because the husband was thinking about another woman. Um, going back to the military stuff, what movie got it right in terms of your experience? Full Metal Jacket. Really? Yeah. That's where you're like, you watch it and you're like, shit. Yes, they got it right. 
Private Benjamin got um, the boot camp part right, especially in the sense that she built a community of friends in there. Well, yeah, and she goes from being totally lost and in over her head to feeling empowered, which is something that you experience in your book. I did it before Goldie. You did it. You were on the cutting edge of that. Yet I'm so much younger. Yeah. I forgot that Nancy Myers wrote that. Right. She did. She did. She really did. I'm such a fan of Goldie Hawn, and I'm such a fan of that movie. What was it like when you saw it for the first time? Did you? Did you? I thought, think? She, how, how is she knowing what was? Did someone film me in boot camp? How yeah. did they know? Yeah. Uh, the every every time, I really also being a screenwriter or a TV writer, I didn't. I don't think they needed to follow her after boot camp. Yeah. You know, it sort of fell apart when she went to. Yeah, it kind of became this different Russia thing. Germany, but she went. Yeah, and she ended up with what's his name and 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 yeah. Full Metal Jacket did a better job of that following him into Vietnam. Yeah. So you know, I think that that was better. But I love that movie. I love both those movies. I know. Now you talked about your first sex with a Marine. You don't have to go into great detail, but where were? How long had you been in the Marines? And was it a one-time thing? Oh or what? Just tell me whatever you want to tell me about that. I checked <laughs> into. My base, I reported for duty. Right. Just after boot camp. I was still wound pretty tight. You were still probably a teenager. I was 19. Right. And I was so uptight and so nervous. I'd just been yelled at for three months by drill instructors. Right. You don't just flick it on like a light switch, flick on relaxation like in Book of Mormon. That, you know, yeah. flick it on. Right. Um, I, first off, I drove cross country because I lived in Dallas. My car was in Dallas. And I, they told me I had eight days to report to North Carolina. And right. I thought, oh, I'll have a road trip. How fun. So I drove my car all the way across the country, and I pulled up, and they said, you can't drive that car on base. You don't rake high enough to have a car on base. You're going to have to park that car in town and walk on. And I thought, well, I'm out. nobody I'm told me like, that. I'm this is some bullshit. So I did, and I go onto the base, and you... you you check in like you're like a coach. I got a I got a bunk. I got my rifle. I found where the where the base cafeteria was. Had a tour. And the last thing you do is you stand in line to meet your commanding officer to check in, and he signs off everything. Like okay, da 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 da. da. Standing in line, about eight guys in the hallway that also had arrived that day, and we were locked up tight, still at the position of attention. And I came into his office, and I he said at ease, and I um, went to the really strict at ease pose which is not very loose and he said no seriously at ease relax right and i was like okay, you went so. into your chorus line pose then a little bit a little bit more chorus line a little less snap and pop right less, I got um, you. michael bennett and then he asked me some general questions How, did i find everything okay and he was signing my papers and then he wrote down on a piece of paper um an address and phone number and he said okay you're gonna you'll be at a dinner party at my house on friday night and I thought, great, everybody that was just in that line out there got the invitation, and he has a welcome party for all of us. How civil. Right. I'm from the South. So I, that Friday night came, I bought a bottle of wine, drove there in my car because it was off base, it was just in a neighborhood, right. and showed up, and I was the only guest. Wow. There was never any dinner. It was just on. Well, there was a meal. Let's just say Yeah, that. so it was just on. It was on. So and you walk on. in, he just knew instantly. Yeah, and, and I had no idea because first off, he is still the hottest man I've ever seen. I mean, I was 19, he was probably 26. Right. He was an officer and a gentleman. And within like 30 minutes, it it was just very sweet and very tender and then really wild. And the next day, I... Drove up to that guard on the base and handed him my VIP parking pass. Oh my god! For the rest of my time there. That's amazing. Did you see him again? Did you for three it... months? Yeah. Oh my god! And I, I will say, what confidence that... for him to go here? Just here's the come have dinner. Like he knew. And we had a great time. He was awesome. And sadly, about a year later, I was back in college in Dallas. He called. And told me that he was being kicked out because he was discovered under Donuts Don't Town. Oh, God. And the Marine Corps was his life. That's a heartbreaker. Yeah. He couldn't have been a better uh, service provider to our country. Oh, now, do you know where he is now? Are you friends on Facebook or anything I like that? I don't. I did look. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but when you reach a certain age, you kind of stop looking because yeah. sometimes people just aren't here anymore. Right, exactly. And then Facebook comes along and you're like, oh, there, you know, there was that moment when that all happened, when all these people that you 
lost track of reemerged. Yes. Um, I, I I changed everybody's name in the book because yeah. I didn't contact people. I didn't right. I didn't reveal anything about anybody. Uh, my name's the same, but at other I changed every other name. Everyone's name, Dale Santoro. Yep. Everybody's name's different. Um, have you heard from anybody apart from Dale that's in the book? Not that's in the book, but I get all these fantastic messages from other Marines. That's amazing. And uh, there's a Marine mom group that reached out to me. I'm going to go see them in West Virginia. They meet every month. They're, they're, all their kids are away. All their boys are away doing service, and they get up, and they've all been passing the book around like candy. Right. And But it is very touching when I hear from other Marines. It's... it's um, uh, I wasn't expecting that. That's amazing. When you hear political candidates talk about uh, the military, does it land differently with you than it might with me? Or, or is there something, things that they say that bug you or somebody that finally gets it? Or does it affect the way you look at political candidates? A little bit in that I think that, that first off, I believe that I'm worried about money. And I'm worried about the money that we claim to be um, needing to spend on weapons and other super high-tech defense things. Not high-tech. I shouldn't say that. I want to because I'm going to talk about that in a second. Um, I'm really after the after what Cheney did with Halliburton. Yeah, I have no trust for executives and officials. Uh, those same executives and officials, by the way, government officials, is who. Uh, tried to keep gays out of the military yeah. from serving. It's not the other Marines. We're, they're fine with it. We have a job to do that's bigger than sleeping with each other. Yeah, bigger than the shower moment. It's been an awkward moment in the shower. But it's bureaucrats and politicians that try to enact those. Yeah. And so those same bureaucrats and politicians are trying to vote for vast amounts of money to be spent on on weapons and other things that we really shouldn't be spending that money on. Because I I believe that um, that our future wars... If we have to have those, there are going to be more technical wars. We're yeah. going to get to less boots on the ground. Right. So the, the money stuff bugs on you. Um, what do you remember about when Don't Ask, Don't Tell was finally rescinded? Were you thrilled? I mean, everyone was thrilled, but did it feel like a little too late? Uh, no, I was thrilled. It takes steps. Right. I hope that everybody stops criticizing Bill Clinton for... Just doing don't ask, don't tell. Right. I realized that when he campaigned, he promised to just allow gays to serve openly. He had to answer to 50 advisors and 67 congressmen and 200 million constituents. And so he couldn't just do that. It couldn't be just black and white, one day illegal, one day legal. So don't ask, don't tell was a necessary step. Right. So we had that. It was great. It saved a lot of people. It, it started easing the idea in. You know, it's like getting into a really hot bath. Right. Just take your time and you're going to get used to the water. And then by the end, when Don't Ask, Tell, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed and it was just like, okay, we can just serve. It was like, yes, because we had that transitional time. Right. We had to have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you still have contacts in the military? Friends in the military? Friends and acquaintances. People that have stayed in through the whole thing? Yeah, the... Um, the Career Marines. I have a stepbrother who is going to retire from the Naval Reserves nice. uh, next year. Now, do you have time. relationships to the other branches of the military? Like, oh, the Navy, what pussies. Or, oh, the Air Force. You know, because they're very competitive or whatever. Yes. I mean, look, I'm a Marine because I'm gay. We like the best. We like an upgrade. Right, exactly. I was not going to be an Army or a Navy or an Air Force person. I want the best. Now, is Jarhead just Marines? It they is. They say the word Jarhead? It is. They, is it, is it a pejorative? Yes, they think that they can, because of our... Our amazingly great-looking haircut with a little patch on the top that they could just screw our head open like a jar. And trust me, you can't. That's why. That's where that comes from. That's and that only comes Marines from. are jarheads. Yes. Now we refer to Navy people as squids. Okay, that makes sense. And Air Force are basically flyboys or people that eat ice cream on the patio. You know, just chill yeah, out. yeah. So. What about flyboys? That's kind of hot. What about exercise? Like, because you would think, okay, boot camp. I'll come out with a rock and bod. And you do. Yeah. And you do. And I will say that every every insecurity that I went in with as a kid, because I was skinny, I'd never worked out, I didn't play any team sports, I was too afraid of getting, you know, beaten up. Right. I, um, but because it was, it's a great foundation for a physical fitness career. It yeah. really is. Um, and then because they test you several times a year, you have to stay fit. Right. And uh, it's allowed me to, to, I think, always remember to stay in shape. Right. What's your thing now? 
Running, I just, weights. I, 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 I love running, but it's really hard on my hips, and yeah. so I swim and do yoga. There you go. I love the yoga. Yeah. But when you see these boot camps, it's a boot camp class in a park. I've it's done those. Pacific Palisades, you're like, no, this isn't boot camp. Oh, I play polo, which yeah, is yeah. hard. Yeah. And that's a lot of exercise. I'm not playing right now. On horses. On horses. Wow. Right. But you can dance, and I would love yeah. to be able to get that exercise, but do it as well as you can, because I've seen Aww. you on video dancing. Thank you. Those people tag me on those videos. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> um, something else you wrote about in your book, you got in trouble for the color of your eyes. Like, they wanted you to change the color of your eyes. You know, What do you do? They're crazy, those drill instructors. Um, and I didn't know if he didn't like, he thought my, what he was telling me was my eyes were pretty. Right. And so he, you know, he came up and screamed at me. And demanded that I change the color of my eyes. And my eyes are blue. Right. And I thought, oh, fuck, somehow blue eyes mean I'm gay and he knows right now. Right. There's a softness to my eyes. You... I have sissy eyes. Have you ever tried to start a shit? I mean, you can't do it. You're just like, that... Story of my life. Okay. That's how you change the color of your eyes. Except... It doesn't work. You don't. Right. It doesn't result. I was trying to rise that shit up into my blue eyes and so flush they, them brown. They brown. Yeah. And I sat there, and he was staring at me and screaming and screaming. And you, you again. I'm not sure if he's not going to hit me. I was in just a few years after it was illegal for them to hit you. Right. And then it did happen, and I talk about that in the book. Um, but uh, I really did, and I really thought that he was testing me. Yeah. And but but and then you just kind of got through it though, right? They move on. Yeah, you know, there's 75 people to terrorize. Yeah, so. you think you're the only one, right? It feels like you're the only one. Yeah. So how did you get into sitcom writing? How, what was your first sort of break in that world? Because you worked on Dream On, you worked on some other shows, and when I was working shows? for Norman Lear, and uh, I was writing on staff on two of his shows. Before I even got that gig, um, we were doing a show. Powers That Be was created by David Crane and Marta Kaufman. Pre-Friends. Pre-Friends. And they were off doing Dream On at the same time, so they would come back and forth. And David, um, uh, his husband, Jeffrey Cleric, uh, had just moved out from New York, and we were friends. And Jeffrey said, let's write a Dream On for David. Right. And I said, let's do it. David. uh, David Crane. Right, right, right. And that was running the show. And so we made an appointment, we got into pitch, and we landed a pitch, and we wrote a script. And that was the first thing that I sold. That's what bought those. That's what bought those. Amazing, yeah. And then, um, and then Sean and I got um, a Powers That Be for Norman, and then a 704 Hauser. And then when Norman's deal was up at Columbia, uh, we just were freelance writers. And we were uh, on different shows. Uh, Do you know Nancy Lee Mayant? Mm-hmm. I love her. We we still write stuff with her. That's our show with Norman right now. Oh, awesome. um, we run stuff in the show with her, and we wrote some children's animation, and uh, still just all kinds of things like that. Now, do you always write with a partner? I didn't write the book with a partner, but I write scripts with Sean. Right, right. Yeah, so you guys have been together a long time as writing partners. Twenty three years. That's awesome. Yeah. Why, why does it work? Um, well, I think we both bring strengths that we, that we respect and we rely on each other and we trust each other and we need each other. Um, Sean has this fantastic, uh, story structure. Right. And, and that's, you obviously must have that. And then he's also hilariously funny and he was integral in, um, uh, helping in the second draft of this book. He's the one that suggested that I really, really flush out, flush out those care, flush out those other characters. Right. So I, you really get to know the other guys in the platoon. And that was thanks to Sean. Nice. What's the uh, TV plan you mentioned with this? Uh, Rachel Davidson and Pam Williams. Uh, Pam did The Butler. And right on. then she has a TV history as well. They optioned it as a series. They take it out. The elevator pitches. Orange is the New Black meets Private Benjamin. Uh, wait, sorry. Orange is the New Black is the New Private Benjamin is the New Pink Marine. I love it. So, that I works. Um, 13 episodes, sold. Right, it's dramedy, not for yeah. network, and uh, with the central character in yeah. the military with the secret of being gay. And so. Mario Lopez would play you? Oh, you know, I don't think they know me. Actually, Norman Lear has a grandson, Noah Lapook, who's at Northwestern right now yeah. as a drama major. He's 19. He's right. He'd be great. Yeah. I love that. All right. You picked a couple questions from the observation deck. Lay it on us. What's the worst thing that's ever gone wrong for you on stage? We were producing, Sean and I were producing a glad benefit. Stand up. Oh, shit. I'm already a nervous wreck. And 
Glad benefits make me anxious. They we, really make make me anxious. We were at Harmony Gold Auditorium. Okay. And we had this amazing lineup of people, including we had convinced John Forsyth, who's the voice of Charlie's Angels, of course. to come on stage for the first time ever physically as Charlie. Visible right. as Charlie. Right. To introduce his newest angel and his old angels. So his newest angel is Margaret Cho. Right, okay. But his, and she was hosting the show for us. That was a kickoff of the show. But yeah. first he had to bring on his old angels. And it was Judy Gold, Judy Toll, and Scott Silverman. Okay. In costumes like Sarah yes. and Kate and Jacqueline. And I was Jacqueline. I'm sorry, Scott was Jacqueline. Two minutes before showtime, Scott said, I'm not putting on that dress and that wig and going out there. I'm not going to do it. And I said, Superman, come on. We are hitting the stage. And he said, I'm not going to do it. So I had to grab the wig. I wear glasses all the time. Right. I had to grab the wig, put on the dress. I had motorcycle boots on. And I looked at Sean Dwyer and I said, should I take the glasses off or on? And he was, whoa, put the glasses on. And I was like, okay, if, that, if anything will help. And I had to go out on stage. And um, Judy Gold said, I'm the smart one. And did the gun pose. Yeah. Judy told, I'm the sexy one. And yeah. did the pose. I was Jacqueline. And I'd turn around and go, and I'm the pretty one. Right. I'm not pretty. It was just rough. It was rough. Do people know. seem to laugh and enjoy laugh, it? And they it went, went well with Forsyth? Yes. Everyone they went crazy. Happy? And then, then, then John introduced his newest angel, Margaret, who wore a black latex ball gown. Yeah. Fantastic. And crushed it. Silverman, did you forgive him? Yes, but I tease him. We talk almost every day. Yeah. Tease, yeah. He just didn't, he wasn't going to do it. He didn't have the balls to wear that dress. I know, and it takes a marine. It takes a marine. You gotta have balls to wear a dress. You know what? If you can get through boot camp, you can wear a dress with John Forsythe on stage. Yeah, you do end up with a, a, a weird security in your masculinity. You know, I think I think that's interesting. You have this podcast, and you're broadcasting it and recording this in in Los Angeles. I'm able to speak about this book and my message from a pretty comfortable place. Right. And I, I'm happy to do that. I'm I'm probably not going to get beaten up today. Right. Somebody can try, but right. I'm a Marine. I wouldn't really recommend it. Right. Um, but so would you I be get good to, in a fist fight. Uh, yeah, it probably would be really, really good, especially if I got to wrestling. That's awesome. You know, um, yeah. unless we were greased up, and then it's kind of even. That's a whole thing. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but so uh, I want to keep using that as you do with your podcast. I'm going to keep broadcasting from this comfortable position, right. so that it sort of our message spreads over the country like butter on warm toast. And those kids that are struggling in Ohio or Indiana. Hear that and think, ooh, yeah. There's people that are really doing this. I love that. All right, what else do you got? Uh, what was your lowest point professionally? I was not writing television. Right. I wasn't really writing anything, and I signed up with a temp agency and uh, to go out on jobs. And this was probably in 2003 or four, and uh, no six, and I. The agent gave me my first assignment, and I said, I don't want to do it. And he said, but you have to do it. And I said, I don't want to do it. He goes, why wouldn't you do it? You have to do it. I'm giving you an assignment. I didn't tell him why, but I went on, and I went to the office in Beverly Hills of ICM. That was my agent. ICM was my agent. And you were still your agent. Still my agent. And I hated walking in and working there as a temp. I didn't run into my agents. Right. That week, I was working for a division, not TV division, but even, I was literally getting ill going oh. to work and sitting there. And, and I was always wondering, are they going to see me? And I was seeing deals. I was seeing deals. And just like you were talking about earlier, you know, seeing Greg Berlanti well, sitting with Norman. You don't want to be competitive, but, but there's certain things that just push all of those buttons for you. Which is why I try. You know, to the only thing if, if Jesus, if it had been Jesus and Norman Lear and Craig Berlanti, I would have been a little worse. You know what I mean? It was like the ultimate, or whatever. It just is that thing. And that's why I try to. You know, even at, I have a ton of, of of unsuccessful days and and frustration and and craziness. And I try not to phrase the question about what keeps me going as why not me. I've, I try to I try to say it as let's do this, and let's meaning our community. I rely on a lot of people, but right. I don't want to say why not me because that puts me in like this. It sounds victimy. Yeah, I want to just say let's do it. How do you deal with disappointment and the struggles of the business? 
like I said in, in the Marines where they teach you, you can always take one more step. You right. always can. I think if you believe that you have um, a gift or a talent that you want to pursue, you need to keep doing it. Obviously, if I if my writing weren't weren't received wasn't received well, or if I didn't get hired to work on a project, I would pack it up and go do something else. But uh, and it's still really hard to make a nickel in this town. You know, I blog, and and blogging is part of the problem that writers aren't getting paid because there's a lot of free content. And I'll admit, you know, it's like. Getting in bed with the devil, but sometimes the sex is pretty good. You've got to. That's what you've got to do. You created this thing, and you, if you hadn't created that thing, the Food Network wouldn't have just happened to f- f- pick you out of a lineup and say, you seem to like food. And when I write, people say, do you get paid for Huffington Post? No, I don't get, get paid for those things I write on Huffington Post. However, Which are very funny, by the way. Thank BTW. you. BTW. But at the bottom... one of the list ones that I read recently that cracked me up. How do you know you're at a gay wedding? Or, yes. Um, the, Throw off a couple of numbers that you remember from that. Um, I don't remember anything. Oh, I, but I do remember something from the birthday one that I wrote oh, yeah. recently. Uh, it was about my hair, because people are like, what's your hair program? And I, I say, you know, I did not expect to have hair this long. Yeah. And so every day I... It's I, pretty miraculous. I look at it and it looks so healthy and nice. I, You know what my plan is? Every day I blow dry it just as big and huge as I can get it. Right. And then it settles through the day according and proportionate to life's disappointments. So <laughs> You have like mood hair? By 6 you p.m. You have like a pet rock or like a mood yeah. ring or whatever? By 6 p.m. my spirit's crushed, but my hair's perfect. But your hair's perfect. Um, I but I, what your... I love about Huffington Post is I was going to say the, the end of that story, there's a link to buy my book on Amazon. Yeah, damn straight there is. You've got to do all of that stuff. I'm a whore. You've got to. You can't be like... And I, I <laughs> you can't be like, I wish it was the 90s still. Everyone listening to this is like, well, Dennis quit saying that all the time. I'm the worst victim of it. Um, but yeah, you've got to. Everything changes. It's yeah. not that everything changed. Everything is always going to change. It's always changing. Everything changes. And yeah, so yeah, we, yeah. Can, we can run and adapt and try to find new ways. You know, you do a podcast. Uh, 10 years ago, there wasn't podcasting. Right. And you have access to this. And uh, I know people that, that do this get great benefit. I'm going to use this thing. I'll, I'm going to plaster this thing. Everywhere. Good. I hope you do. I hope you do. And I hope it uh, leads lots of people to your book. What do you hope people get from the Pink Marine? That anybody can do anything. If I could become a United States Marine, anybody can do anything. Do you, do you think of that sometimes? Like when you're having tough times, like, shit, I got through the Marines. Every day. Why, why am I letting... This ICM thing freaked me out. Yeah, I do have to remind myself of that. And, and you know, I was worried with Food Network. I didn't know if they were going to say yes to me. I thought, oh, they're going to think I'm too gay or too old or, or whatever, not going to like my look or my hair or my voice. But they stuck me on the air. Not that they're going to keep me and not that I have a job next week. But the, the fact is that we, we really need to there's – a, there's a thing that my boyfriend is great about marketing and he's really helpful – and reminding me that it's important that we all tell our own story in our own way. Because rather than be a copycat or do something that somebody's already doing, the world is really only interested in something unique. Yeah. It sounds like you've had some wonderful influences and some wonderful... You've, you've got a great way of approaching life. So, Thank you. But I need those perhaps. reminders. I need reminders every day. Yeah, I, mean, I think we all do, right? One of my favorite quotes is from my yoga teacher, Leslie, whose quote is, stay on your own mat. And it's not just about if you're looking at somebody else that's doing a pose a little more right. intensely oh, or better. Fucker as bridge. I want to kill him. And But she means it in life, too. Yeah. Stay on your own mat. I think it's beautiful. I think it's a great way to end this. How can people learn more about your book and uh, what you do? My website is so... Is the best way. I've got all these fun videos with like Betty White and other people. It's really fun. It's thepinkmarine.com or pinkmarine.com. Yeah. And you can buy the book through there or through all your favorite online retailers. Nice. Retailers. Uh, and then in bookstores, wherever you want. But go to my website and watch the videos. It's funny. What's the most fun you've had since the book's come out? What's been the neatest thing so far that's come out of it? God, uh, Norman also taught me to live in the moment. So Cookie Con was really fun at LA Convention Center. Yeah. Um, and how, how did Norman teach you to live in the moment? I always do this thing where I say last question is never the last question. FYI. He, he, um, he says it really, he explains it better in his documentary that's, that's out, but he, he believes in living in the moment. You, you 
I've translated it to those phrases where it says, don't look back unless you plan on going there. Yeah. But live in the moment and appreciate this. It's really hard with technology now and the phones and the Instagram, which I love. Follow me at Eat Greg Eat on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. But I also have to watch movies now and make a conscious effort to hide my phone so that I can just watch that movie. Right. And so live in this moment and have this conversation and, right. and really be present. It's hard. It's hard. But it's, it's something that I've been thinking about and working on as well. So thank you so much for this. Congratulations on the book. It's really fun and smart and funny and interesting. And you fucking did that. Thank you. And I love knowing you for so long. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> you said earlier you had a flyer that I put out from the late 90s of some dumb event. A but birthday anyway, party. Uh, like a New, New Year's, Year's party. party. It was so a great fun. collage. All I right. have it somewhere. All right. All right. All right. Bye. Thanks again to Greg Cope White. And since we recorded this podcast, Greg uh, made the decision to leave his publisher and do the book on his own. So uh, it doesn't change much about where you find it. It's still available at thepinkmarine.com. So um, good for you, Greg. Yes. Solidarity. Whatever. I don't know. Um, I'm not even sure what was behind the decision, but I feel like... uh, Somebody should... He deserves a you-go girl, at least. All right. Um, speaking of you-go girl, so this happened. Uh, I don't think I talked about this before, but um, in December and January, I worked um, on a project for World of Wonder, the production company, and it's called... It took a while to settle on the name, but it's called... I think it's called The Gay for Play Game Show Starring RuPaul. I know, that's the gayest title that there has ever been. Uh, anyway, it's a fun game show that is going to premiere on Logo March 7th, I believe. It's going to be on at following Drag Race, so it'll go Drag Race right into this really fun half-hour game show, I hope. Um, I was one of the writers, along with Jeffrey Self and Bruce McCoy, and we wrote pop culture questions and came up with ideas for for different little elements in the show and um, did a lot of researching and coming up with, with fun stuff, so... I was able to go see some of the tapings after I got back from the cruise, and it's really fun. I'm really proud of it. It's got a fun feel to it. RuPaul's a great host. They have fun celebrities on the panel, surprise guest stars, dancers that are just out of this planet hot. And I hope you watch it on March 7th. Um, I'll know more a little. Bit, I'll know a little bit more about it as it gets closer. But it is really close. So it was a really fun gig. I hope it's successful so they do more of them because I really like working on it. And um, that's it. Hopefully I will see some of you at an Oscar party. And if not, uh, enjoy the Oscars. It feels like we've been living with these same movies for 20 years. Spotlight and The Big Short and The Revenant. I hope that bear shows up and eats people. Anyway... That's all I have to say. Uh, Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis A1. Bye.